Like it or not, the senior and elderly population is vulnerable to negligence committed by medical professionals, nursing home and assisted living facilities, pharmaceutical and medical device companies, insurance companies, and everyday individuals and businesses. The Injured Senior Podcast is here to help. Steve Heisler is the creator of the National Injured Senior Law Center and has been advocating for seniors' rights for over 20 years. You have questions, and Steve Heisler has answers. This is the Injured Senior Podcast. Hello, friends. This is Steve Heisler, attorney and CEO of the National Injured Senior Law Center. I am also your host of this podcast, the Injured Senior Podcast. In July of last year, the Trump administration released a final rule banning nursing homes from requiring residents to sign binding arbitration agreements as a condition for admission. Nursing homes are still allowed to use binding arbitration agreements, but must inform patients they are not required to sign them in order to receive care, and that must be explicitly stated in the agreements themselves. So that begs the question, why do nursing homes want so badly for residents to sign binding arbitration agreements? Here today to discuss just that topic is trial lawyer Rob Shank from Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Rob's law firm, Shank Smith, is focused exclusively on representing families with loved ones who have been seriously injured or killed in nursing homes. He's the co-host of the Nursing Home Abuse Podcast, a bi-monthly video podcast dedicated to educating families on nursing home care and abuse. Welcome, Rob, to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, Steve, for having me. I appreciate it. Doing, doing, doing as good as I can be in quarantine. <laughs> I hear you. Rob, it's an honor to have you on the show. I love your podcast. Listen to it religiously. I wholeheartedly recommend that anyone listening to this podcast check it out. It's vital information. So let's get right into it, Rob. Why do nursing homes so greatly want residents to sign binding arbitration agreements? That's a great question. And that's ultimately the threshold question, right? So from a 40,000 foot view, arbitration is an alternative dispute resolution method. It's an alternative to litigating in a court of law. So the only way that you can forfeit your right to litigate a claim in the court of law is to agree to it through a contract. And that's what the nursing homes want to do with this arbitration process. The arbitration process is different than the litigation process because of two principal reasons. And this is the, the roundabout long way around your, your question, the, 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 really the root of why nursing homes want it. There's two huge advantages to it over litigation from the nursing home standpoint. The first one is that it's a private proceeding, almost always. So if a resident sues a nursing home in a court of law, all the proceedings pretty much are going to be public. You can go and watch the, the, the trial. You could theoretically get whatever's filed in the case, which might include deposition transcripts. It might include you know, corporate statements, these type of things. All that's public. What happens? The, the, the jury award would be public. You can find out, oh, nursing home XYZ 
got a, an award against them for $10 million because of a pressure ulcer issue. I didn't even know pressure ulcers were a problem with this nursing home. With arbitration, it's the opposite. No one will ever in the general public be made aware of an arbitration award and why it was awarded. Most all of the proceedings are private. You're not going to be able to understand the facts of any particular case that's not your own. Everyone is essentially going to be required to undergo confidentiality uh, obligations. So that's that's the main one of the main things. The other main thing is, and this is not just a conspiracy theory, but a, a lot of studies bear this out, that typically the industry that is requiring arbitration is going to benefit from arbitration because they're essentially the employers of the arbitrators. All right. So what you're saying is that it's kind of like the employers, uh, the nursing homes, they have relationships with the arbitration panels or, you know, it's uh, there's a, a friendly kind of you watch our back, we'll watch your back kind of thing. I'm not going to say that's explicitly what's going on because that would be unethical, but I guess statistics show that arbitration awards compared to jury awards tend to favor the defendants, meaning the industry that is requiring that arbitration go forward. And I think I've seen studies anywhere from 20% less to 40% less. So it's advantageous from a fiscal perspective. And and some of that might have to do with the fact that it, the industry, or I'm sorry, the arbitration panel, the the companies that, that employ the arbitrators are not necessarily looking out for the industries that hire them, but you know, it, there's, there's gotta be something with that. Well, they want to, they want to get used again. I mean, they want, they want to get retained again. So if they come out with large verdicts or awards against nursing homes, the nursing homes aren't going to pick that particular arbitrator again. Right. Isn't, doesn't that kind of like, I feel like that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly right. It's the free market and, and they're wary of that. And that if the industry continues to get burned, from one particular arbitration company, they're just going to go to the next arbitration company and they all know that. Right. And the other option, if you don't sign an arbitration agreement, is that you have the right to take the case in front of a jury. Jurors, they don't worry about coming back. I mean, they actually, you know, they, they deal with the, the case in front of them and, and they try to get it right. And not with any type of biases or prejudices or other types of uh, maybe conflicts such that an arbitrator might have, correct? That's right. I mean, it's the, I mean, it's the basis of the Seventh Amendment. You want your community to hear your case. And a part of the reason why we want the community to hear the case and to decide on it is because theoretically, they are the benefactors of whatever the decision is. And they are the, the gateway to protecting the community that that nursing home sits in. So the community sits as the, as the judge of, okay, well, my own grandmother could go to this place at some point, or I, I know somebody that could go in this place. And if they're systematically underfunding or, or, or what have you, this is our way to step in as the community and, and put a check on that. Got it. Now, so with that being said, are there any advantages to potential nursing home residents signing a binding arbitration agreement, in your opinion? In my opinion, there are none. So, what you're told typically as a nursing home resident is that arbitration is faster and 
that it, you know, is quote unquote fair, but principally that it's faster. And in, in some instances, they tell you that it's cheaper because you're not having to, you know, you don't pay a lawyer big bucks to go through the motions and all this kind of stuff. Arbitration theoretically is a limited endeavor. Um, however, in many instances, that's not the case that it's cheaper or that it's faster because sometimes you're paying an arbitrator $500,000, an hour to review motions or whatever. And when that just is baked into the cake of a filing expense in a regular court of law. So I think that's the, those are the things that are dangled out. I remember I told this story on our own podcast, but when I was, I don't know, 18 or 19, I worked, I waited tables all the way through school, all the way through law school. And I worked at a, a large chain restaurant and one day they came in and they said, okay, look, everybody has to sign an arbitration agreement to continue working here. You have five days or you're fired. And they made us all sit down and watch a video. And it was, it was funny because it's, it's exactly as I explained where they try to break it down. Like, okay, well, you know, if, if here's a pie, because this chain had a very famous type of pie. And so they showed the pie the whole pie. And it's like, okay, they take a slice out of it. All right. Now, if you arbitrate, this is, this is the amount of the award that you're going to get. And they give you all the pie except for one slice. And then, you know, if, but if you sue in court, you're going to end up with nothing but this one slice. And then it, it's, <laughs> you know, it's been the same. And that was, I don't know, 20 years ago, something like that. But it's, 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 this, it's all the same, but it essentially boils down to, we don't want anybody to know about any of our claims. And we want to make sure that even if the claim has merit, we kind of are hedging our bet and making sure that, you know, that the possibility of some outrageous, you know, award is lessened. So here, here's my, here's my take on it. The arbitrator or the arbitration agreement, it's kind of like whatever the agreement says, you know, is what the arbitrator, basically it's kind of like his guidelines, his boundaries, correct? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, how is an arbitrator actually, when they're actually hearing a case, what are they doing differently or, or you know, how's it different than when a jury hears it? So from a procedural standpoint, the discovery process, which is the process by which the parties exchange information, either through providing written documents, providing written statements, or through depositions, meaning sitting at a table with somebody and asking them direct questions. Typically that's lessened in an arbit arbitration matter, but it's going to depend on the type of arbitration that you have agreed to as a resident with that nursing home. But ultimately at the end of the day, during the hearing, the arbitration hearing, the arbitrator is going to be hopefully applying the law of whatever the venue that you're in. But sometimes in, in case law, you know, bears us out, depending on what jurisdiction you're in, sometimes they can do whatever they want. Sometimes they can, you know, obey the, the laws of evidence. Sometimes they, they don't. It's, it's in their discretion. Um, so that's, that's typically a problem. So if a nursing home resident signs a binding arbitration agreement, are they allowed to be represented by an attorney? It, yeah, yes, yes. In most instances, in almost all instances, you can be represented by an attorney. Although I think I've seen in some arbitration agreements where they kind of have the language in there where it's like, you can do this yourself. Right. And so what are some of the best reasons? And you might have already discussed it, but just to make sure our listeners 
are grasping this. What are some of the best reasons to not sign a binding arbitration agreement? Well, I think the best reason not to to sign an arbitration agreement is because, you know, we're blessed to live in uh, a country that has a constitution which allows civil trials with the jury to hear your claims. And I think in, in my heart of hearts that 12 community members can do a better job of understanding what's fair and what's allowable and what's preferred in a particular community versus an arbitrator that is employed by an arbitration company that is selected by an industry to hear claims. So from a 40,000 foot view, I think that the procedure and the process of litigation and litigating in a court of law and having a civil jury trial is heads and tails better. Um, now there's going to be shortcomings, but it's, it's, in my opinion, a far fairer and a far better process. And that's, and I think that's why it's ingrained in the constitution. Well, a shortcoming, I, I guess, might be that it might take longer to get your day in court than with an arbitration, but you, you know, you, you want to, you only get one bite at the apple, right? And so, you know, you probably, it's worth waiting a little longer to get in front of six or 12 jurors who are your peers, as opposed to an arbitrator who is a lot of times, you know, prejudicial and biased in favor of the nursing home, correct? That's what, that, I would agree with that statement. That's right. Okay. So, Rob, now, have you seen any cases where the nursing homes actually trick or deceive a resident into signing an agreement requiring a binding arbitration? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by trick. But most of the time, it's not the resident that's signing the arbitration agreement. It is the spouse. It is the child. It is the grandchild. And typically, that's done outside of the presence of the actual resident inside of a conference room or in the office, the administrative office of a facility. Sometimes actually, you know, this, the, the documents are faxed to the hospital before the, the resident is admitted. But at any rate, it's done in such a way that I would be willing to bet you that nine out of 10 administrators, admissions directors don't know what's in any of these documents. They don't know what's required in these documents. They don't know the CMS regulations regarding arbitration agreements. They couldn't explain what arbitration is. So if there's any trick, that's the trick, is that no one is competent enough to explain what arbitration is while that individual who's worried about their loved one, and that's 90% of what's on their mind, and they're just trying to sign these documents to get their loved one in the facility. Right. That everyone is ignorant of what it is and they just sign it. So they kind of and, and they kind of get shuffled in with all the other paperwork and people are just signing without even really knowing or realizing what they're signing, correct? That's exactly right. And and even before the 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 current administration kind of changed the enforcement of the of the the rules, there's an obligation to explain, hey, this is what your rights are. This is the rights that you're waiving by signing this. And so, but no one ever does that. It's just one paper on top of, you know, 15 other papers. Okay. Now, let's say, and I know you just said that most of the time it's the loved ones that are signing the paperwork. Maybe they have a guardianship or, or whatever over the, uh, the potential resident. 
Are there situations where the residents actually are signing the paperwork on the, when they're getting admitted? Yes. So contract law is going to determine, you know, whether or not things are enforceable. But in order for the arbitration or any contract, doesn't matter what it is, it could be a contract for, you know, cable television. The individual that's signing the contract must have capacity, meaning they are of sound mind. And so at least in in my anecdotal, in my experience, typically the resident is not of the ability to sign anything on their own behalf. Although they, they, sometimes that is the case. That is the case that they, that they do that. So, well, that, that's kind of like what I was going to ask you. So can the actual arbitration agreement that a potential resident signed who was not of sale mine or didn't have the requisite capacity, uh, have you ever seen situations where that would be overturned or avoided? Sure. So I would say there's a few buckets that arbitration agreements can go in in terms of contractual defenses and fighting arbitration for the and fighting them for the reasons that we laid out at the top of the episode. In the instances and in the bucket when the resident signs the agreement, fighting the enforceability of the arbitration agreement is based on capacity. And again, let me preface this by saying that every state is different in terms of how they interpret contract law. But typically, like I said, you should not have any cognitive impairments that would would inhibit you from you know acting on your own behalf. And so, one of the things that you know, it's it's funny sometimes is when you do have a resident that signs themselves in, or you have the nursing home saying that this resident was of sound mind. Well, within fourteen days of admission, there must be a comprehensive assessment of every resident if that nursing home is taking Medicare or Medicaid, which ninety five percent of them do. And they need to do an assessment of the cognitive capacity of the resident. So sometimes we see a nursing home arguing that the person was able to sign themselves in, although the assessment the next day, 24 hours later, 48 hours later, two weeks later, says they were not of <laughs> sound mind. So Right. So you've had situations where you were able to find documents uh, a couple of weeks later, that uh, capacity evaluation to say, hey... You know, you, uh, you're saying that this person has the capacity to sign this arbitration agreement, but then two weeks later, you said the person's not of sound mind. So what is it? Of course. Yeah, uh, that, that does happen. But the more likely scenario, the, the other bucket, another bucket is not capacity, but authority. So no one is allowed to sign away anybody's rights unless there is some type of of authority. Most of the time, almost all the time, it needs to be written authority. So there are, could be an instance in which the resident is in the room with someone else and says, this person can act on my behalf right now, and then they wheel them out. But most of the time, if you're acting on behalf of somebody else to sign something for somebody else, to have them bind, be bound in a contract, there must be some type of authority and that's reduced to a writing. Now, typically, that's going to be, as you mentioned before, a guardianship, which varies state by state. Um, where you are essentially that person's guardian, like a parent. And that usually, depending on the state, that usually will give the family member or the loved one the ability to sign away somebody, for, sign an arbitration agreement. Then there are things called general powers of attorney, healthcare directives, um, limited powers of attorney. There typically needs to be some type of evidence in a writing that allows 
the person signing the arbitration agreement to act on behalf of the resident. And most of the time, you'll find that there is none. Just for the fact, in most states, but just for the fact that you are the spouse, you are the child, or you're the grandchild, doesn't give you the right to sign an arbitration agreement on behalf of someone else. So there has to be either a power of attorney, like you said, or a directive or a guardianship in order to be able to do that. That's correct. And even in those instances, and, and again, this is state specific, but a power of attorney, uh, or I'm sorry, a healthcare power of attorney might not do it. So in some instances, the resident, at least in the state of Georgia, would have a healthcare power of attorney. But that's not enough authority to sign an arbitration agreement. It might be enough authority to say, you know what, he, this person is a DNR or they don't want to be resuscitated or you know, they only want feeding tubes, not a ventilator, these type of things. You might have the authority to say that, but you do not have the authority strictly from a healthcare power of attorney to sign an arbitration agreement. So even within the written authorities, sometimes the scope is not broad enough to allow it and the arbitration agreement is not enforceable. Got it. So it sounds like there's a lot of ex, you know, exceptions. And so if you're uh, a, a caregiver or a loved one, child, spouse, whatever, and you, either your loved one, the, the resident, sign the arbitration agreement or you sign the arbitration agreement, not really knowing what you did, are you saying that there are different ways that you can look at it where it may be able to be voided or, or you know, or overturned. Is, is, is that what, what I'm hearing? That is exactly what you're hearing. And I'll even do you one better. There's another bucket. Oh, so there's another bucket. All right, let's bucket. hear it. <laughs> so the other bucket is just any other contractual defenses. So we've had cases in which the arbitration agreement, because it was effective only for one side, so the nursing home could get injunctive relief or go to court if you didn't pay. However, all the claims by the resident would have to be heard in arbitration. And though, though that in some states, that's unconscionable. And it would be in the arbitration agreement would be unenforceable. In some instances, and we're, we're going to be dealing with this in the next few months, we just got a couple cases in this way, where the arbitration agreement specifically says, we want this particular arbitration company to hear the claims. Well, guess what? That arbitration company has been told that they can no longer operate as an arbitration company. And so through the doctrine of impossibility in Georgia, that arbitration agreement is void. So the best advice is you you should seek out the advice of an attorney in your state if you've signed one of these and you and you might not want to arbitrate. So, because there's many ways to, I'm not even going to say get out of it because getting out of it almost implies that it's proper. Oh, it's, it's not proper. So right. there's, there's ways to hear, you have, have your case heard in a court. Right. And so for the listeners who are contemplating placing uh, their loved one in a nursing home, what would be some questions to ask or is there anything uh, as far as arbitration agreements that they should be, you know, what, what kind of questions should they be asking when they're sitting down and they're, they're signing the paperwork? Uh, is there anything in particular that they need to say or, or to ask about? Sure. I think that it would be recommended to say, do you have an arbitration agreement? Let me see it. And then you strike through it and you initial it and you say, do not agree. 
it's, as you mentioned at the top of the show, they nursing homes cannot make the signing of an arbitration agreement mandatory for being admitted. So in some will give you a period of time, like a cooling off period of 10 days, 30 days or whatever, where you can come back and, and, and say you don't want it. But did the best thing to do is go, do you require arbitration to, for, with regard to um, disputes and claims? Let me see the document and strike through it and say, I'm not agreeing to this. Okay. Then there might be some people that say, well, maybe I will consider it, but would they have the right to take that document? and say, before we do anything, I'm going to have this looked at by an attorney. Is that something that they could do? I think in most instances they could. I don't want to speak to every single state because there are, you know, I mean, obviously different laws for different states. Right. I think that you're, you, you would be within your right. I would make sure that you just make sure that you reserve like, hey, listen, um, you know, how many days do I have before, you know, I can make a decision about whether or not I'm going to sign this or not. And you should be okay. But I would recommend whatever you do, try to get it in writing as best you can. All right. And are they allowed to bring an attorney when they're bringing somebody in? I know this might sound extreme, but I'm just curious because they might be concerned about documents that they're going to be required to sign talking about either the residents, potential resident themselves or the loved ones or the guardian or, or power of attorney. Do they have the right to bring in an attorney or bring in an ombudsman and you can explain what an ombudsman is, but can they bring in somebody to kind of help them, you know, look it over actually when they're right there in the uh, nursing home office? Yes. I mean, you have the right, you, you, you have the right to do all those things. You know, they might say, we don't want you, but you have the right to have whoever you want to look at these things. Once you're admitted, um, just as an aside, you have the right to meet in private with whoever you want to. It's a residence. So you have a right as the resident of the nursing home. But a lot of these documents encourage the resident or the resident's family to get legal counsel. Many of these have the boilerplate language of you've had the opportunity to review this with your attorney, blah, blah, blah. So having an attorney there or later on having, you know, later on being maybe hours or days, having an attorney review to make sure that's well within your rights to do that. And many of these agreements anticipated. Um, with regard to what an ombudsman is, every state, well, by federal law, Almost every, actually every state now and all the territories have what's called an ombudsman program. And ombudsman is just the Swedish word for advocate. And the long-term care ombudsman are advocates on behalf of residents of nursing homes. And so I kind of like to say that if you have, if you're, if you have a loved one in a nursing home, think of yourself as having a tool belt and there's different tools depending on what the job is. So the ombudsman is your tool for when your rights as a resident have been infringed upon. So, for example, they're not allowing you to take part in the care plan. They're, they're not allowing you to meet with clergy that, or they're not allowing you to take part in resident council meetings or they're not giving you a mechanical diet when you need to have a mechanical diet. These type of things which reflect on the quality of your life that might not necessarily be something that would vindicate, be vindicated in a court of law. So that's the tool for the long-term care ombudsman. And they can most certainly help you with regard to, you know, navigating the waters of the admission process, including the arbitration agreement. So the tool of the attorney would be 
you know, if there's been something, some type of physical injury or improper discharge from the facility, that kind of thing, that's the tool. That's, that's, that's when you need the lawyer. That's the tool there for that job. Got it. It's, it's good information, uh, Rob. It's real good information. Let me just make sure I heard you right in the beginning of the podcast. You said that verdicts or decisions from arbitrators, as opposed to verdicts from juries in the court system, are lower than in the court system. Is that, is that accurate? They, I mean, I have not conducted the studies, but the statistics that I've seen would reflect that, yes, they, by and large, overall, they are less than jury. Arbitration awards tend to favor the defendant versus jury trials. Okay. You don't think about that, I guess, when you are getting admitted into a nursing home or if you are there admitting your parent or, you know, someone that does a loved one. But if something really bad happens to that person and you know, they, they might need additional medical treatment or, you know, they need money to pay the medical bills for the damage that was done in the nursing home. Those are things that can be, you know, that you can get from a jury trial, correct? That's right. So I'm not saying that you, you, if you're obligated through to, to, to have your claims heard by an arbitrator, that you're out of luck. That's not the case at all. They're going to be awarding damages oftentimes in the same manner that a jury would. The issue is that the process, the fairness, it's not the same as in a jury in a jury trial, although the, the measure of damages is probably going to be the same. Got it. As you explained very, uh, very well uh, earlier. Rob, that is just great information. I can definitely see why your podcast is so successful and your law practice as well. Now, unfortunately, we've run out of time. How can our listeners find you if they want to learn more about nursing home abuse or want to, you know, want to inquire about your services? For the listeners out there, you're more than welcome to come to our website, which is shinksmith.com, S-C-H-E-N-K, smith.com. You can also, for more information about arbitration or any other issue with regard to nursing home abuse or neglect or ombudsman programs, these type of things, you can be sure to check out the podcast, as Stephen mentioned, which is the Nursing Home Abuse Podcast, which is available anywhere you get podcasts from, as well as YouTube. And then if you got any questions for me, I wouldn't be able to speak to anywhere pretty much but but Georgia regarding nursing homes, but it's 678-823-7678. But yeah. That's, that's, that's great. That's great. And nursing home abuse and neglect is all that you do, correct? That is correct. All right. So you are laser focused on protecting the rights of seniors and the elderly when it comes time for uh, nursing homes. And I guess it's assisted living facilities as, as well. Yes. Assisted living facilities, you'll, we'll have to have another episode dedicated to that. It's its own animal because it is not what, what some states call assisted living facilities, others call communities, but that level of care is not federally regulated and it's kind of like a no man's land. Uh, that sounds ominous. So we're going to have to talk about that on our next episode that we do together. Again, thanks, Rob. That's it for now, folks. As always, if you have any questions about an injury to a senior or elderly individual, please feel free to email me, Steve Heisler, at info at injuredseniorhotline.com. 
Friends, if you'd liked the content we discussed today, and there was a lot of good content from Rob Shank, please head over to the show notes where you will find a summary of today's show and any important links we mentioned in this episode. Also, always feel free to reach out to me directly at, again, at info, info at injuredseniorhotline.com, and that's info, I-N-F-O. Thanks again for listening to today's show. Be sure to tune in for next week's show. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Injured Senior Podcast with Steve H. Heisler. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more or to get help anytime, go to InjuredSeniorHotline.com or call 855-622-6530. We'll see you next time.